When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We are back for another week and another edition of the SportsMediaWatch.com podcast. Good to be with you. I'm TJ Reeves. He is the owner, the operator, the purveyor of SportsMediaWatch.com. Paulson, a.k.a. John Lewis, is back aboard. We have much to discuss. John, uh, coming off of uh, really the uh, the first full two weeks of the football season there's a lot to get to with ratings we've got baseball playoffs coming up pretty soon it's going to be the nhl the nba and everything in full swing how are you how are things good to be back with you well you know uh, scratching and surviving hanging in and jiving right <laughs> aren't we all uh it's like they list these nfl players as day-to-day aren't we all yeah. Uh, we're all trying to make it and make it through. And by the way, more and more of you are finding this podcast. Continue to find us through John's website, through sportsmediawatch.com, but also subscribe to the podcast. And we should clarify again because people are bringing this up. When we say subscribe, that's most podcast outlets. If you're on Apple Podcast or Spotify, just follow the podcast. John, they have a separate division of podcasts you can subscribe and pay for you have to pay a subscription for you don't have to pay for this podcast it's free on apple podcast or spotify or wherever you get podcasts spreaker etc google uh come find us that's the easiest way it comes to you earlier in the week we love that more and more of you are finding it we're promoting away with uh with john's insight and uh and takes on everything that's going on all right so smashing success is the quick two-word headline I will use for this weekend in college football and the NFL ratings in particular. In fact, at the time that we are taping, CBS has announced it was the most watched uh, September weekend of any kind for them in seven seasons going back to 2014. The Dallas Cowboys-LA Chargers game had nearly 25 million people on average watching it, which was more than any football game CBS has shown in September in seven seasons and and obviously won the week. Got higher ratings actually than the Baltimore-Kansas City primetime game that came on right after it. Okay, John, so the NFL in particular, and I'll get a little bit into the college here in a couple of moments too, but your initial reaction with the NFL doing as well as it's doing with the ratings, it, it seems to be bouncing back. Uh, yeah, well, look, the NFL is having a great start. College football is having a great start. All, you know, you know, everything has a great start when 2020 is your, you know, your baseline, right? Uh, but, you know, they're not just doing well compared to 2020. They're doing well just generally. Uh, and uh, certainly for the NFL, the ratings are not back to where they were, right? Because we're still talking about a 12.6 rating for Cowboys Chargers. That's, you know... That's down from 2019, which was a 13.2. So some of this is the out of home that Nielsen is including, right? The ratings always look a little less impressive than the viewership, especially now with out of home. So the ratings themselves, these are the exact ratings that in 2018, 
you know, Trump would have been heralding as, see, no one's watching the NFL. Like the ratings are literally at that exact level. I mean, it's such an interesting thing, the way that the context changes, because I'm actually looking at the 2017 numbers and that was the Kaepernick year, Trump, you know, oh man, the NFL, the NFL is dying. I mean, there were people actually writing that, like unashamedly writing that the NFL was long with dying. I've got Whoops. this Yeah. Uh, and compared to 2017, the ratings were down for all but one window. The single header was up on Fox compared to the 2017 single header on CBS. But the uh, the late game in 2017 was Cowboys, Broncos, and most markets on Fox that had a 14.4 rating and 26 million viewers. So this number that we just saw for CBS on Sunday, that 12.6 and 24.5, uh, 24.3 million, in 2017, that would have been, uh-oh, the NFL's in trouble. Man, that's a steep decline. I mean, you know, actually, wait, no, that's not true, because in 2016, the ratings for week two were actually even lower. So it still would have been up. But, you know, you get the point, right? All of this is, it's all good thing for the NFL, but the numbers ultimately, you know, I mean, it just depends on how you did the previous year. And I guess for me, I think the NFL is doing great. I think the NFL is off to an amazing start. I think all of this is how you're comparing to the rest of television. And from that comparison, even the NBA's 5.2 rating for the finals looks good compared to the rest of television. But, you know, at the same time, you're also thinking, well, you know, it's not like we haven't seen these numbers before. There was a time when I was first writing about NFL ratings, you know, you'd be getting 15s and 16s, 26, 27, 28 million viewers. And now it's just kind of weird that, you know, 12.624 million is huge. I don't want to make any mistake. It's a massive number. Right. for the time and more impressive in the context of this time than those numbers were in the context of 2013 and 2014 way more impressive in fact but you know it's not like the nfl is you know i mean i guess for me i i'm thinking to myself these numbers would have been mediocre a few years ago obviously you put it into the context of television's precipitous decline and you have pointed that out before that you start to see, you know, in like a three-year increment or a five-year increment, what it has looked like compared to three years before, five years before, or six years before, or 10 years before, the decline is there across the board on viewing on TV and in-home viewing. I would be interested to know, and I haven't seen any of the data, and I'm not pressing you for it. I would just love to know this at what point. Is the NFL red zone growing? And again, they have two different broadcasts, one of those uh, basically for cable uh, as well as your device. And then there's a direct TV exclusive version of the Red Zone, two different hosts. Scott Hansen does the first version on the cable and the devices, your phone, your iPad. Andrew Siciliano is the host throughout the day and evening, Eastern and Central time zones uh, for the direct TV. I would love to know, are those increasing? Are those at the same? Are those decreasing? But we, do, we usually don't see that info, right, John, to know if that's up or down or the same. No, you're exactly correct. We never see the Red Zone numbers uh and, you know, I'll be completely honest. For a long time, I didn't get it because I didn't watch Red Zone. I actually didn't start watching Red Zone until last year. And now, you know, it really is the only way to watch the NFL on Sundays if you don't have a rooting interest. It's the only way to watch. One, no commercials for the entire seven hours. The NFL is nothing but commercials when you're watching the regular games, right? <laughs> uh, you get to see bits and pieces of every single game and you see it live. So it's not like it's highlights after the fact. Uh, I mean, it is really the only way to watch NFL games on Sunday if you don't have a rooting interest. 
it's my understanding is that the red zone numbers are not as high as you would think. One of the only good things, you know, about Nielsen is the fact that it forces us not to go with our anecdotes in our gut because our anecdotes in our gut are almost always wrong, you know, and um, I think the gut feeling is, well, red zone is amazing. Everyone must be watching this. My understanding is, I don't know if it was Nielsen or how, however they are, are tracking that internally at the NFL, that the numbers are not what you think, what you would think they would be, uh, you know, and. Do you so, believe there are a couple of million people combined? I would believe that educated guess. I would believe there's a couple million people easily combined between yeah. the two. You would think, you would think, I mean, when the feed went down on Sunday uh, and was frozen on the red alert banner, you know, uh, there were a lot of people talking about it on Twitter, right? <laughs> You know, a lot. Um, I mean, it, it 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 makes sense that red zone would be a major factor, but you know, we don't know that, and uh, you know, uh, we should not go with our gut for really for anything. Honestly, we should always just go with whatever data we have. But um, you know, I think, yeah, I mean, it would make sense if red zone was really really big, but. To my knowledge, it's not. All right. And, and another thing uh, that we will add on here, college football, especially from the primetime uh, Penn State-Auburn game that was the national game from ABC, as well as CBS's debut with their first SEC football game. That was Alabama and Florida. Both of those up as well, according to CBS. Um, in fact, it is uh, over 7 million people watching that 3.30 Eastern time, Alabama-Florida game. Uh, in fact, almost almost 8 million people watching. And that's up considerably from 4.5 million watching last year. There's your reference point to last year. And in terms of the growth, it is the most of any of their openers since Alabama-Texas A&M had nearly 14 million people. Hello, watching in 2013 so this is the highest one since then but again you're putting it in context that's nearly 14 million eight years ago so the the eight million is a great looking number in the present day but not what it was that's that's part of your point right well you know it is interesting because in that same week three this is week three right and i've got alabama mississippi at 8.2 million back in in, in 16 um, so keep in mind that they, they were, may have counted it as week two, but I understand the point. It's similar. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think it's a great number. I also think CBS doesn't typically start off with Alabama, Florida, right? That's a really big game. Uh, and, uh, a couple of years ago it was Alabama, South Carolina, that Texas A&M game in 2013, that was Manziel. We all know the impact Manziel had on the ratings. Imagine if he'd actually been able to put it together for a little bit in the NFL. Uh, and, you know, uh, so I, I think it's a really good number and CBS should be bragging and she should feel really good. But, you know, I mean, it's Alabama, Florida. You would hope Alabama, Florida would be over 7 million viewers. You would hope that a game like that with both teams in the top 25 and it was a close game. You would, I mean, 7.86. Yeah, that's about where it should be. I don't think that's any kind of shock or something where you're like, whoa, what's going on here? It makes sense, right? Uh, and uh, it's good that it didn't underperform, but I don't necessarily look at that as an overperformance or anything I wouldn't expect. And Alabama, again, as we've talked about so many different ways on these podcasts, but everywhere you've written about this, that's that's the love-hate brand name that's there. 
Um, it, not unlike the Lakers, like you've referenced, or the Dallas Cowboys or the New York Yankees, there will be just as many people tune in across the country to see if Nick Saban's team will lose uh, as much as uh, as much as there are Alabama fans or SEC fans tuning in to see if they will win uh, or not. The Penn State-Auburn game getting right around an 8 million primetime audience with several other um, options, obviously, on Saturday night for college football etc that is a strong number again for abc and espn and it was an exciting finish again with penn state winning in the fourth quarter over auburn you had the big 10 and the sec reminder a year ago in college football that the sec and the big 10 did not play out of conference games so you would not have gotten a game like this you got it right off the bat in early september and that delivered a very strong number it was more than double what the network programming was on saturday night non-sports for the networks well, of course, Saturday night, the network's mm -hmm. pretty much, uh, you know, they put on the uh, color bars and tone on Saturday nights at this point, right? <laughs> um, you know, so uh, I think that's another good number, right? Uh, you know, and Auburn is not Alabama. Auburn does not draw like Alabama. So, you know, and Penn State doesn't draw like Ohio State. So, you know, it's not necessarily a guarantee you're going to get a great number for that matchup, given number 22 team of the country in Auburn, number 10 in Penn State. You know, they're on the outskirts of the playoff conversation as well. So a uh, great number for ABC. They can feel good, you know, um, and uh, I think uh, they're off to a strong start. Everybody's off to a strong start, uh, certainly as compared to last year. You know, that Saturday night last year, it was Miami-Louisville, which who cares, right? And it was going up against the Celtics and Heat in the NBA Conference Finals, which is just ridiculous to think that the NBA was only in the Conference Finals at this point last year. You know, I mean, everything's going to do better than, than last year, but it, it does, I mean, everything is doing better than last year, pretty much across the board. I don't think anything in 21 has been lower than in 20, but football seems to be doing a little bit better than, than, the, than the others. Off to a rolling start. All right, several subjects to cover here. I promise also for the audience, it's back by popular demand. Love it or leave it is coming one more time towards the end of this podcast. With the full understanding that you came at the Manning cast, as I like to say, with both barrels, with both fists last week and gave some good comments, some strong comments, your opinion. I love that. Not, not anything against the Manning's talents uh, or, or the content of their show, but more or less the premise of going in competition against uh, the main broadcast of Steve Levy, Lewis Riddick, and Brian Greasy on ESPN's Monday night coverage, the actual game coverage. So they had week two of the Manning cast for the Green Bay-Detroit game. Again, uh, full disclosure, in the timeline that John and I are taping, we don't know the rating from ESPN2 for Monday night yet. We're taping the following day. We don't know the number. We know the number last week was around, what, John, 800, 900,000? 800,000. Again, to your point, if you watched on social media and you heard all the feedback, you would have thought millions right. that had tuned in. For example, the combined audience for the Raiders-Ravens exciting overtime game on ESPN and ABC was over 15 million people compared to 800,000 that were watching the Mannings. So they may have had eight or 900,000 or a million on Monday night, uh, maybe not. I watched, again, some of it 
Uh, it was it was fascinating. Again, the Mannings are very good at this with making fun of each other, making fun of the guests. You can see why ESPN hired them. I mean, John, for example, I know you did not watch, and for the audience that did not see it, they were supposed to have Brett Favre on. They were having trouble with the connection or the internet. Brett Favre was late coming on and then admitted on the broadcast he had not been watching the game yet up until the point when they got him on, and then they're watching it together even though the Packers were playing. Um, I'm here in the Tampa Bay area, the Buccaneers, the defending Super Bowl champions off the 2-0 start. They had Rob Gronkowski on the Tampa Bay media perked up when Gronkowski started talking to, to Peyton Manning and said, I don't really watch game film. He just listens to Tom Brady on, on what to look for from certain defenses and certain sets. And the Tampa Bay media is buzzing all over Twitter and, uh, and social media saying, wait a minute, we know, we know that to be different. What is Gronk saying on TV? So they did have some attention, is my point, uh, there from uh, week two of this. But we, again, should keep it in perspective. It is nowhere near who's watching the actual game broadcast, John. Well, I mean, that's always the way it is, right? Social media gets so excited and, uh, you know, Ted Lasso wins, what, 15 Emmys? We don't really know how many people are watching that. You know, I mean, look. I, I'm not, I have nothing against the Mannings. Like I said, you know, that, that's not really for me, uh, you know, that kind of thing. But my tastes are very different than the average person when it comes to TV, uh, kind of weirdly old school. I, I actually missed the first half of the Sunday night game. I was flipping through uh, Family Ties, The Facts of Life, and Happy Days. Um, really? What were, you, what were you, TV land? You were TV no, land? Where was that? Just YouTube or what? No, it was Pluto TV. Okay. I hadn't watched Pluto TV in a while, and I was like, wow, they got Facts of Life, Family Ties, and Happy Days, and I missed the first half of a great game, <laughs> the Ravens and the Chiefs. You were caught You were caught in the 80s vortex. Yes, uh, I was. There. Yes, and, you know, look, uh, so I, I don't pretend to be representative, uh, but at the same time, you know, Twitter's not really representative either. Uh, and that, I don't know, I mean, Obviously, the mega cast, the Manning cast, did very well. 800,000 viewers is a lot of viewers to seek out an alternate presentation of the game. You have to seek that out. You have to look for it on ESPN, too, because you're going to default to ESPN or ABC. And 99% of sports viewing, that's not a real stat, but just my, just my thought process is that 99% of sports viewing is passive. It's, oh, yeah, the game's on. Oh, turn on the game, you know? Now, all this talk these last several years of, oh, I'm going to boycott this, I'm going to boycott that. 99% of the time, people are watching this stuff as background noise. They don't know anything about what's going on, you know? Uh, they don't know who the announcers are. And this is the point that's been made, by the way. You know, some people have kind of looked at my uh, point of view on this and said, well, most people don't even care, right? You know, who's doing these games? And it's true. A uh, hundred bucks says, you know, what a huge percentage of NBA fans have no idea who Maria Taylor or Rachel Nichols even are, right? Like, right. well, maybe not NBA fans, but the viewers, the casuals who make up the audience for these things, right? You know, this is all very niche, what we do, those of us who actually care who's presenting the game, you know? And uh, so in order to tune in for the Manning cast, you have to know there's a Manning cast. You have to want to watch the Manning cast. You have to know where to find it and you have to pursue it. So that 800,000, that's a, that's a strong number. That is very healthy, right? Uh, you know, and so that shows that nearly a million people, if you tell them where the Mannings are, they'll find it, even if it's on, you know, the Deuce, which probably is even less relevant of a network than it was 
even you know at, at the outset because ESPN basically only uses it for overflow programming now. So that says a lot. It says a lot. Um, there is interest there. But again, you know, 15.4 million people watch uh, in the average minute, and uh, fewer than a million of them are watching the, the Manning cast. So, you know, social media, as it always does, overstates, you know, its meaning, overstates, you know, what it likes, uh, as we see. Importance. Uh, it overstates yeah, importance yeah, a lot of times. Yeah, it, it really does. Uh, I mean, we see that. I mean, look, there's so many different ways in which social media leads us astray. We see it every election night when people are going, what? I can't believe, wait, he, he got that many votes? But I thought he was gonna get like none, right? <laughs> you know, and uh, obviously when it comes to TV and TV ratings, it's a little bit less impactful than when, than when you're talking about elections. But, you know, eventually people have to realize that uh, social media is not an accurate reflection of, of what people do, how people live. But at the same time, 800,000 is still a really healthy number that ESPN should feel good uh, good about. The one thing I did per our previous conversations, I felt for Steve Levy because I was watching. And again, full disclosure, I'm a play-by-play -play guy in part and do broadcasting. And I know what you mean, that most people don't know who the announcers are. But when you're the announcers and you're working these games, you're working hard for your career, you're working hard on your craft. And to have Steve Levy reading a promo on more than one occasion, I heard it twice, make sure to go tune in if you want to hear the Manning cast over on ESPN2. They've got Brett Favre tonight. They've got Pat McAfee and Rob Gronkowski coming up tonight. They're having him read it. They're not having a pregame host read it. They're not, they've not got the big announcer voice on a promo coming back from a commercial saying it. They're having Steve Levy verbalize. Please go turn the channel to somebody other than me calling the game, uh, whatever it is. So I, I thought that I thought that part was interesting. But again, we keep all of this in perspective and important to point out, they will do this again next week for the third straight week to start the season. But then it's going to be sporadic, if that's the right word, where there's only seven more for the final, what, 14 weeks or so, 13, 14 weeks or so, there'll only be seven more. They're not doing this every week, John, which is uh, which is kind of interesting, but that's what the Mannings would agree to, I guess. They didn't want to do it every week. And so there we go. I did like, uh, in terms of, of siblings, brothers and sisters, uh, you know, husbands and wives and dynamics of, of, of people trying to, to get a word in edgewise, McAfee asked Eli Manning a question about the Packers and whether or not they were a Super Bowl contender. And Peyton was wanting to talk about something going on in the game. And the Packers were driving, and it was still a key moment of the game. And Eli proceeded to give an elaborate, long answer that went for like three or four plays, um, at least three plays. And, and Peyton Manning just deadpans, America, please forgive my brother for that four-minute answer to that simple question. Now let's talk about what we've seen for Aaron. I mean, he just deadpanned it right on Eli, making fun of him. That's where it's at its best. Just thought I would point that out. We can identify with that. But again, many more are watching uh, the actual game broadcast. We should point it out in there. And again, John, I, I guess just a quick a thing to you, if if they gain momentum here week two and then in week three, is it is it easy to jump on them and say they should have gotten the Mannings to agree to do all of them if they were going to do this? Because if they take a break, they're going to lose momentum with the audience, right? Well, it's, you know, it's, it's you never want to have, you know, three weeks and then you build a taste for it and then you stop. It's ludicrous. But, you know, how else were they going to get the Mannings? You know, Peyton reminds me so much of the late Kobe Bryant. 
obviously ESPN would have preferred that Kobe be calling games, but he wanted to do detail instead. So your choice is, well, we could have no Kobe Bryant, or we can have him do this ESPN Plus show. And it's the same thing with Peyton. He doesn't want to do games. It'd be great for ESPN if he wanted to do games. Like, I want to be clear. I like Lou Riddick, um, you know, and I, I like Steve Levy. And Brian Creasy, I'm not really that familiar with, to be completely honest. I'd be disingenuous if I said I liked him or disliked him. I'm not familiar with him. Um, but it's not like it's not like they're a sacrosanct team. The disrespect that I perceive is not, oh, these guys are the best Monday Night Football team right. ever. It's that you gave them this job and you're undermining them. They're not even really having the opportunity. I see the other points of view that, well, Andrew Marchand is saying, well, they're going to benefit because all the attention is on the Mannings. I disagree with that. I think they're being undermined. Like if you said, well, you know, Conan's going to benefit because now Leno's on at 10 o'clock and the shadow will be, you know, the attention will be off the Tonight Show at 1130. I mean, that's, that's not going to, that doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> Right. Uh, and so, you know, with all due respect to Andrew Marchand, um, to me, uh, I think that it's not so much that the Monday Night Football team is sacrosanct, it's that they're being undermined. And if ESPN had managed to get Levy, Peyton and Eli in the booth, that would have been amazing. Right. right. That would have been the best case scenario. But if you're going to go with Levy, Riddick and Greasy, then you go with Levy, Riddick and Greasy. You know, you don't go higher, you know, uh the coach you had to settle for and then bring in the coach you really wanted as an assistant how is that coach ever supposed to feel secure in that position for the whole year well said and for andrew marshawn or any other media writer but especially if you're making this point if they hired another sports media writer at your paper would you be championing it and endorsing it me thinks not in fact, I know about those situations from in the past, whether you're talking about uh, any form of broadcast or print or whatever it is. So it's easier to say for somebody else, well, it's going to enhance you uh, if that's the case. All right. So uh, the NBA, interesting. You've brought them up a couple of times. It will be here before we know it. ESPN has already made a decision on their daily NBA program. They're still contemplating what happens with their studio show. You've written about this, John Lewis, on SportsMediaWatch.com over and over again. Uh, your thoughts here, Malika Andrews is the choice now, not unexpectedly. We've talked about it on this podcast earlier in the summer on, on her being given the five-day-a-week show and the name Mike Greenberg being kicked around to potentially be the latest incarnation of the studio host. All right, your thoughts on all of this, and you've written about it as well. Well, you know, uh, 20 years in ESPN continues to not know what it's doing on the NBA, which is a pretty long period of time to not know what you're doing. 20 years, goodness. Um, all I could think of yesterday was Malika Andrews now is, you know, the big thing at ESPN. They're promoting her. Well, you know what? They used to do that for Rachel and they used to do that for Maria Taylor. And they used to do it for Beetle, and they used to do it for Sage Steele and Lindsay Zarniak. And most of these are women, by the way, which is kind of odd, because in every single one of those circumstances, it ended badly. Uh, what would you bet that ESPN's relationship with Malika Andrews will not end badly? Because I don't think you can trust ESPN to not screw this up. I could see, you know, six, seven years down the road, wow, man. Yeah, ESPN's uh, relationship with Luke Andrews ended even worse than its relationship did with Rachel Nichols. Who, who would have bet on that, right? I, I could see that happening because there's a fundamental rot here, right? At, and I keep talking about the executive level. 
I'm really talking about Norby Williamson, right? You know, who I've been covering this industry for 15 years. I've never ever heard like a positive word in his favor. Like, I mean, you would think there's some people out there who'd be willing to vouch for him in public, but I've, I've never heard it happen. And just uh, so everybody knows, he has been the most powerful person in terms of talent, talent decisions at ESPN, right? Basically 20 years, maybe even more, John, along yeah. those lines. By the way, don't you think it's super weird that there hasn't been like a single story about him? And he's so like seemingly disliked, like to the point where Carrie Potts, one of the most prominent ESPN people, uh, PR people, she left, I guess, like last year, but like, you know, ESPN's PR people, like if you cover the industry, you know who they all are. But like, I think Carrie Potts is pretty decently well known as well. She's mm -hmm. gone through some adversities and things like that. So she's a pretty well known figure. She was, you know, calling out Norby by name on Twitter. Like when your former PR staff is coming out saying things, what does that tell you about how things are inside of Bristol? And like, you know, there was that big New York Times expose on Rachel Nichols. Well, where's the New York Times story? It doesn't have to be an expose, but just a story on Norby Williamson, like who this guy is, how he's perceived. I'm quite sure you could get quite a few people on and off the record talking about him one way or the other. Like, where is the story on Norby Williamson? It's kind of odd, right? You know, so like, you know, to me, that's not me saying write a takedown. You know, if it's a positive story, I'd like to read that one too. I want to understand how this man got the power he has, why he basically seems to run the show, what makes his strange, seemingly terrible decisions justifiable to him. Like, <laughs> give me some, give me something, give me something. Uh, and so, you know, um, uh, I, I think uh, to get back to the main point here, you know, ESPN, you know, I mean, what, what do we say? ESPN and, 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 and women, what do we say? This is a network, the sexual harassment there. I mean, even Fox News looked good by comparison compared to, you know, 80s ESPN, you know, the treatment of pregnant women, the treatment of Sarah Walsh, who I'm sure you're familiar with in Tampa, right? Saw her, yeah. saw her on Sunday working at the Bucks game uh for uh, the nfl network uh, she works for them and works for fox as a matter of fact and if everybody's not familiar with what john's referencing uh to she was undergoing problems problems with her pregnancy even live on the air on espn's college game day pregame show and was so afraid of saying anything to her bosses as to what it might mean for her career and being deleted off that show she didn't even tell them while this was going on to your point about how bad must the culture be behind the scenes uh, to be able to report uh, any of that. So you're right on that. Hey, let's bring it back to a couple of the personalities. So Malika Andrews is now going to be plugged in, going to be seen daily in that new show that they have renamed. I was very impressed with her uh, in the in the midst of all the chaos and the problems in the NBA finals. She really stood out as an interviewer, as asking the right questions, as being polished at a very young age. Yeah. So, John, give me give me a thought on the nuts and bolts of that, if you would. Yeah, you know, 26, uh, you know, that's, I mean, it's a young age. It's not crazy young. Joe Buck was doing the World Series at 26. Same with uh, Sean McDonough. But 26 is a relatively young age. In this industry, we're, you know, most of the men in this industry are like 70 and 80 years old, right? <laughs> so, uh, look, um, she did a great job stepping in on short notice in a ridiculous set of circumstances that had to be awkward for her. Uh, I, I imagine that most people at ESPN don't hate Rachel the way that social media does. And maybe Malika kind of felt 
really awkward in that position, having to step in, you know, and he handled it with the plum. He did a good job. Uh, do I think it'll end well? Probably not because of CSPN. So it probably won't end well. Uh, you know, I mean, look, I'll be 100% honest. She just signed a contract extension. The next opportunity she has to leave, she should take it. How about that? The very just, next step. Yeah, just because if you study the track record of what's going on, they'll probably try to have her replaced or do something else in yeah. the next cycle, which is what's your point, or you know the who, problems that arise. Yes. You know who should have left 100%, and I thought it at the time, and I especially think so now, Cassidy Hubbard. They've had no value for her. You know, I was watching Cassidy Hubbard when she was anchoring those horribly low-rated sports centers on ESPN News, right? Like, I mean, honestly, I was the only person watching those sports centers. You have to be a real donkey to be watching those ESPN News sports centers. And she was always, I mean, she, her talent was evident. They, have, they don't seem to value her at all. They passed her up for Countdown. Let me tell you something. When they gave Beatle that job, and I grew to like Beatle. I grew to like Beatle. But at the time, I was like, you've got Cassidy Hubbard. If, if Sage isn't going to do it, give it to her. And then when they moved on to Rachel Nichols and Maria Taylor, fact is, I, I mean, it's easy revisionist history now. I didn't like that move because Rachel is not a traditional studio host in that way. And Maria Taylor hadn't covered the NBA. I thought, well, you've got Cassidy Hubbard. Why don't you use her? I, have, I mean, obviously, the money must be good. Maybe the comfortable life. She gets to host uh, hoop streams, which I guess if you're really young, you know, maybe if you're Malika Andrews' age, you watch hoop streams and not count down, right? Who knows? All I know is I'm not watching that. I've never seen it a day in my life. Uh, maybe that's something that he looks at and says, hey, I've got this great hoop streams job. But man, I, at the time I was like, why in the world did he resign? They don't value her. They don't. And right. she could have had this studio hosting gig, you know, years ago interesting and you keep making that point and it's a it's a point well taken someone they do value on the segue is obviously mike greenberg and gave him his own morning show uh yeah. with the get up morning show which has really not gotten any traction in in fairness it's just on um and again uh he may end up as the nba studio host you wrote some strong things about that that are the truth, which is he's had no attachment to anything NBA with them, even though they've had the NBA and he's been there the entire time for 20 years. Now, this is a statement by Norby, isn't it? This is like, you know, like calling a shot. Like, yeah, I'm so powerful. I'll put Mike Breen on the, oh, not Mike Breen. Mike Breen would be great, right? He's already there. I'll put Mike Greenberg on the NBA finals. Uh, look, uh, whatever. I mean, you know, remember when we talked about that nonsense with uh, with uh, Brian Kelly's joke, and I said, you know, this is too stupid, and I have no interest in it. It's beneath all of us to discuss it. I feel the same way about the idea of Mike Greenberg hosting the NBA Finals. I mean, show. I mean, just just get out of here. That, that's that's ridiculous. Uh, and you know, I would, would you have liked to have seen somebody else on their roster besides Malika Andrews or besides Greenberg that would have gotten the shot? Or should they have thought outside the box and gone outside of ESPN and brought in a more established NBA person, whoever that is, and given them the shot? What would you look, have done? I should be clear that they haven't given him the job yet. Right. He's just in, he's in the mix. In fact, I think Cassidy Hubbard might be in the mix. So all that stuff I said about ESPN not valuing Cassidy, maybe that'll we'll find out. Yeah. We'll find out. Right. That might not age well. Maybe she'll get the gig. But, you know, I mean, Greenberg shouldn't even be in consideration. Period. 
Uh, and you know, I, I I don't want to insult Mike Greenberg. I have no right. personal animus toward him at all. At right. all. You know, he does what he does well. But, but clearly, if I can bring it back to the bigger point, you would reward somebody that has been working in the NBA and the NBA TV cycle for ESPN by saying, okay, this is the top level studio assignment. Mm-hmm. And he's clearly not been on that track with the yeah. NBA. And that's what you're saying. No, exactly. Uh, he's not qualified for the job uh, in terms of the NBA. Uh, and he hasn't been part of it. Uh, it was ridiculous to give him the draft when ESPN has 15 different hosts who were in the queue for that. Uh, you know, certainly Laura Rutledge would have been fine. Uh, certainly Susie Culver deserves it, right? What, what, sure. What's the deal with not giving Susie Culver their main NFL hosting gigs? That's absurd. Uh, I guess they're still mad at her for going to Fox for five minutes in the 90s, right? I, I don't understand it. Uh, and, you know, when it comes down to it, uh, you know, Greenberg does what he does well. You don't need to force him into all of these other spots, especially when he hasn't earned it. He hasn't earned it. So, you know, I mean, granted, it's not about deserving in this industry, but you have the NBA for 20 years. He hasn't had any role and he just kind of parachutes in just for the finals. It'd be one thing if it was Robin Roberts. I'd given this idea on social media before, like Robin Roberts could come in and do it. But, you know, Robin has covered the NBA. I mean, first of all, Robin is a better sportscaster than she is on TMA. If you remember her on SportsCenter, she was really good. I'd love to see her get back into sports. She hosted Vintage NBA, which was a show that they ran on ESPN in the afternoons. Like, I'd love to see Robin Roberts get that gig because she's put in the work. She's called, I mean, she's, she, she was a game caller for the WNBA and ESPN as well. I mean, Greenberg hasn't done any of that. You know, I mean, and, and this isn't even a first time with Greenberg. Remember, they put him on the Monday Night Football. People yes. complained about Berman getting the Monday Night Football gig. That made 50,000 times more sense than Greenberg, who doesn't even do play-by-play getting it. So, you know, I mean, this, I mean, I don't want to rip him. He's probably a good guy. But, like, I don't, I can't think of anyone in this industry who's gotten more gigs that he didn't really earn than Greenberg, man. I mean, it's, it's wild. Monday Night Football when he's not a play-by-play voice. That that was ridiculous. And part of that, and I know that dynamic, not not that this is a nuclear secret, they, they he and Mike Golick, had tremendous leverage with their morning show going, and as part of their negotiation to re-up with ESPN, they got all kinds of different perks from sports center appearances to uh, different events that they were going to be at live with their show. And also the second Monday night football broadcast came in a couple of times where they got a chance to do the game because Mike Golick had been doing this is Golick senior now because Golick junior is also now on ESPN and doing games. Golick senior had been doing college football yeah. on ESPN for a lot of years and is a former player, but that was part of their contract re up. Uh, for millions of dollars each that it was in the deal. They're going to do a Monday night game. Uh, so, so sometimes it's by negotiation, not yeah. necessarily even by merit that these yeah. things come about. And we'll see what ESPN ultimately decides. But I, I'm just curious, uh, sometimes you go outside of your own network. I know they're a behemoth and maybe go to the NBA network or go somewhere else to somebody that's a regional host or whomever and give them the opportunity that is thoroughly entrenched in the NBA and, and you know, establish another star. They'll never do it, but right. give up. Let Turner do it. EJ, Kenny, and Charles, and Shaq, right? Uh, you know, uh, especially if it's just for the finals. You know, I mean, they'll never do that. That would be admitting that uh, they've, they've failed, which they have. They have failed. 
right? But you don't ever want to admit that you failed. Uh, and, uh, you know, EJ, Kenny, and Charles, and Shaq, I mean, that would be amazing, you know? Uh, it is uh, it is what it is, though. And, and look, uh, so much of it is just bad decision-making. ESPN's had tons of great talent cycle through. They just have never known what to do with them, you know? And, uh, I mean, and e I don't know what ESPN can do to, to start making good decisions. Uh, part of me kind of is fingers crossed that Disney spins them off. Right, which won't happen, but like something like they need some kind of jolt, like some kind of okay, we have to start over from scratch. We gotta start this thing ground up because everyone blamed John Skipper, at least everyone on the outside. Oh, John Skipper, he's incompetent. Look at all these horrible things that have happened. Well, guess what? John Skipper's been gone for three years, and ESPN is still a mess. So I don't think it was John Skipper, right? They're still laying people off every five minutes. They're still dealing with all of these fires. John Skipper didn't create the biggest PR nightmare that ESPN's had in years. He wasn't there, right? Maybe you could blame him for giving Rachel the jump in the first place, which, by the way, was one of the better decisions that they've made because that show worked. Uh, that's why they're keeping it, right? It's called NBA Today, but it's the jump, right? What, 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 what a fraud they're running. I, I don't mean that literally, of course, trying to pretend, oh, it'll be like NFL Live, only uh, basically with the exact same cast as the jump, in the exact <laughs> same studio as the jump, right? You know, and in the exact same time slot as, as the jump, which, by the way, brings me, uh, I, I wonder who leaked that or who talked behind the scenes about it being like NFL Live, right? Because you remember Adnan Burke getting fired for leaking to awful announcing. And I was reading yesterday, hey, how interesting that both the Washington Post and the New York Post refer to this new show as being like NFL Live. Jeez, you know, great minds think alike, huh? Or they have, uh, you know, obviously there's, what, what do you want to bet? Well, let me not get into who I think leaked it's, it. It's obviously somebody associated with the NBA coverage that yeah. wanted that in there. And that's how it gets, that's exactly what you're saying without saying it. That's how it gets in there is somebody wants it in there and somebody said it. So it's... uh. And it depends on who the leaker is, too, and how high up or how powerful the leaker is. In Adnan Burke's case, he's a sports center anchor that was leaking things, and therefore they thought expendable when they were unhappy with what got out there without their consent. Um, and that's how that one works. So uh, we'll see. All of this is coming in October, and we'll see what um, ESPN slash ABC does with the studio show and eventually with the coverage in the playoffs and the finals. And if it is Mike Greenberg, or if it is somewhere, someone else, what I do know is this has become a fun aspect to kind of conclude the podcast and we're going to crank it up right here. Here we go. Love it or leave it. Something that has cropped up the first couple of weeks in the NFL, the officials, the game officials have been told, it has been emphasized, instructed to them, impressed upon them, John, that they need to call more unsportsmanlike conduct penalties for taunting on the NFL players. So yeah. we saw several examples this past weekend of them throwing flags Um for things that you just looked at and went, is that really taunting? Uh, for example, in the Tampa Bay Atlanta game that I worked, one of the clinching plays of the game, Mike Edwards, a defensive back for the Bucks, picked a pass off to clinch the game, is going into the end zone. He turned around and was celebrating with his team, backed into the end zone celebrating. It may or may not have yelled something out. I couldn't hear it. The crowd was going crazy. And they threw flags immediately because he had turned his back and back into the end zone. Uh, we saw a player get up in uh, the Tennessee Titans game with the Seahawks spin the ball on the ground, which we've seen over and over, flag, 
came out, that that's somehow taunting the opponents. Love it or leave it, John, the crackdown on a sportsmanship aspect of what is taunting? Is it too much? Is it overreach? Do you love what the NFL is trying to do with the officials, or do you want to leave it kind of where it is that there's some personality in the game? Well, let's uh, shoot it off into space. I mean, this is so ridiculous, this nonsense, this infantilizing, you know, well, I guess I can't say the word I want to say. Uh, <laughs> get it out of here, this ridiculous stuff. These are all grown men. If they can't handle a little taunting, then that's their own emotional problem. And uh, if they overreact to someone taunting, then you punish that. Uh, you know, now, I mean, look, if you're talking about provocation, if you're talking about getting into someone's face and really trying to get a rise out of them, fine. But if you're talking about, you know, spinning the ball, please. An example of that in the Steelers Raiders game, there was a Steelers offensive lineman who got into it with a Raider offensive lineman and he felt like he had been spit on and then he clearly spit back at one of the Raiders and that was an ejection. And that is what they're trying to prevent is does it escalate into a fight? Do we have to eject somebody for this? You and I are in agreement. I think most rational people that are watching the NFL are in agreement. There is a line. The line is, are you doing something that's going to create a fight and, and, pre and create possibly a dangerous situation with what you're doing? So, yeah, the, the, there were, I believe I saw there were something like nine or ten flags that were thrown for some version of taunting last weekend. Let's see if it continues, because, again, the referees are being told. They're being instructed by the supervisors of officials, Al Riveron and his people, call it. Call it as soon as you see it. Uh, the, some, some use the initials no fun league when you're doing that. Um, at least some, and, and by the way, the selective enforcement, Lamar Jackson scored the go ahead touchdown on the Kansas city chiefs. I know you saw the play, John running around the end and he did a full front flip into the end zone. All right. So Mike Edwards is at home for the super bowl champs backing into the end zone for a touchdown late in the game. There's flags on that. Lamar does a front flip, the star quarterback of the Ravens. There are no flags. If you're Lamar, you're all good on that. Just uh, it, selective enforcement will get them in trouble as well is uh is what part of my uh, point is on on whatever the taunting or unsportsmanlike conduct is love it or leave it we move along you piqued my curiosity you got caught in the vortex of happy days family ties facts of life if you had to only pick one of those shows to go back and watch again which one are you loving and which two are you leaving from the uh, the 80s sitcoms well you know that's such an interesting question because i would pick the facts of life even though it's the worst of all of them right uh, so but i grew up on the facts of life uh which probably doesn't age me as much as you think because i used to re-air that in syndication all right. the time on, on nick at night uh, and, uh, you know, I, I, I have a soft spot for the facts of life. Are you kidding? Uh, you know, that, that's, that's, Hey, terrible. you take the good, you take the bad, you take it all. And then you have the facts no, no, no. of life. You got it wrong. You take them both. And then you, you take them that. both. And you have, yes, I tried to sing it. I'm not going to sing on the podcast, but I loved that show. I loved happy days, but I got to confess. I was never a big family ties guy. Cosby show, yes, but I mean, back in the day now, again, I was a teenager in the 80s. I'm a little older than you. I was never big on uh, family ties with, uh, with the Keatons, but some were. I would probably pick the facts of life over happy days out of those three on Love It or Leave It. Well, you know, with happy days, it's two different shows, 
right? And, and the Happy Days that I like is the first two seasons when it's, uh, you know, kind of more realistic. Uh, the episode I saw on Sunday was, uh, I've actually seen very few episodes of Happy Days. And this is one, for some reason, I've seen it twice in the past year, is the one where Richie is uh, sick and uh, he's home alone, invites uh, Potsy and uh, the other guy. Who's the other guy? I mean, yeah, uh, Ralph, right? Yeah, there Give we go. Give me 10 bonus points for coming up with that off the top of my head and not having to consult IMDb. Go ahead. Yeah, but he invites Potsy and, and Ralph, uh, but a burglar, Carol Bettleman, a.k.a. Stans Warnack, uh, comes in. And uh, it's actually a really, really good episode. Like, I mean, for a 1970s sitcom episode, it's remarkably watchable. But, you know, Happy Days by the end turns into the Fonzie show and he jumps over some sharks and, you know, whatever, right? <laughs> Hence where the phrase comes from. He actually exactly. did jump over the sharks, yes. Exactly. And they knew uh, the show was done soon after. Yeah, well, you know, and all the spinoffs and all the uh, Joni and Chachi and, you know, yes. anytime, anytime Scott Bayo is involved. And I, I want to be clear. I disliked Scott Bayo before the politics. Right? <laughs> Scott Bayo could have been the most liberal guy in the world. And I still would have been like, oh, Scott Bayo, man. You know, I'm not trying to be mean when I say that, but there was just something about Scott Bayo, Charles in charge. That whole thing was so. Didn't do anything for you, yeah. No, Charles and you know Willie Ames. Well, I don't mind Willie Ames. I got no problem with Willie Ames, but something about, you know what? You know what it was? It was zapped, zapped. That one just, (laughs) uh, I don't know. You're referencing all these shows, and I got to go back and look now on TV land at what happened. Uh, where, but yeah, I mean, when you go back and consider in the seventies that happy days was having, and this again, goes back to three channels on the TV and you didn't have the internet and you don't have a device in your hand. Those shows would get 30, 35 million people watching a happy days episode and how famous it made Ron Howard and uh, Henry Winkler as the Fonz and all of those actors, Aaron Moran, the late Aaron Moran, who was Joni, how famous it made all of them in the late seventies and the eighties. Um, Man, I'm feeling old now on the SportsMediaWatch.com podcast that we're going back 35, 40 years to what TV was uh, back in the day. Um, okay, I think I have one more on this for uh, the, the subject. Love it or leave it. Uh, the love it or leave it in this case is the modern sitcom do you have one that you love right now? We know you were knocking Ted Lasso, even though it got all the Emmy nominations. Yeah. Do you have one in the present day that you love, John, besides sports on TV, one that you're honed in on? I, I, I loved sitcoms. Grew up on sitcoms. Grew up on Frasier, Seinfeld. You know, uh, Sorry to say, uh, the last sitcom I really got into is probably a trio of them. Uh, one was The Mick on Fox, which I think was so good. And Caitlin Olsen was so good in that show. And it was an excellent show. Everybody was good on The Mick. It was really, really funny. It, it had all the, uh, you know, it had everything that It's Always Sunny has. And frankly, the two seasons of The Mick are better than the last six, seven, eight seasons of It's Always Sunny, in my, in my opinion. That's a show they took off the air to make room for you know, the latest season of Tim Allen's warmed over, you know, nonsense that ran its course on ABC, but because Tim Allen got all up in his feelings and decided that they canceled it because he was a Republican, he got it back on the air on Fox, <laughs> which please come on, that thing lasted six seasons on ABC. Did, did he think it was supposed to be, you know, MASH? What, what was that? Why was he so upset about that? But anyway, The Mick was was uh, really probably my favorite show of the past five, six years. 
Uh, I got into great news, believe it or not. Tracy Wigfield is tremendously talented. Not talented enough to get me to watch this. Save Educate me. I've never heard of that. For the audience that's never heard of it, when was it on? Is it still on? And where is it on? It's no longer on. It lasted two seasons. I think it was like yeah, what, four, 24 episodes. I mean, it was, it was a short one. Two seasons. I don't even think it ever got the full 13 episode, you know, mini order uh, either year. Um, Tracy Wigfield, tremendously talented, comes from that Tina Fey talent tree mm -hmm. from 30 Rock. And uh, great news was very so-so which is to say the strengths were really good and reminded me of 30 Rock and the weaknesses were why I understand it's not why it's not on the air. It did not have a strong lead. It did not have a strong lead relationship. They tried to do this will they or won't they with the lead and uh, this the, the male lead and neither of them were interesting. The interesting people on that show were John Michael Higgins and I, uh, Andrea Martin, I want to make sure. I've made way too many errors on actors in this show, so let me make sure. You look it uh, up on IMDb. You're educating me because I'd never heard uh, of that show. And I got to make a confession on Love It or Leave It while we're just confessing things and you're looking that up. I, I haven't heard of those, but I'm one of those that has never seen an episode of The Office. I guess I've got to go back and start watching Steve Carell at some point. And that show went on for years and years and years, right? And won all the awards. So I'm not a big sitcom guy. I kind of go, I, I go back to like the 80s and some different sitcoms, but I'm not a big sitcom guy as much as I am a drama guy. So I, I'm not a good one to speak on, but I'm getting educated on what you're telling me. All right, did you find your actor or actresses? Yeah, yeah, I was right, Andrea Martin. I want to just quickly, last week I said that Paul Giamatti was in the Nickelodeon movie Snow Day. It was actually Chris Elliott. They kind of <laughs> look a little similar. It's actually Chris Elliott. And then a few weeks ago I said that, uh, that, uh, um, that uh, Robert Redford and uh, uh, Shirley, Shirley McLean, brother and sister. Uh, Shirley McLean is brother and sister with Warren Beatty. You meant Warren Beatty on that one from old Hollywood. Oh. I still can't get over Redford being 80 years old. That was the whole point yeah. of, of that. Are we really, truly getting that old? But sitcoms on uh, on Love It or Leave It, uh, yeah. I mean, there, there was a day when they ruled the roost, but now the dramas uh, seem to at least for the most part. Of course, again, I'm the father of 13-year-old twins, and I've got a lot of Disney Channel on in my house. I've got a lot of food TV, the Home and Garden Channel. Besides sports, that's a lot of what we're watching, uh, not necessarily sitcoms or dramas that are on network TV or, or elsewhere. Okay, we've come basically to the end of this episode. Anything else, John Lewis, that you uh, have top of mind here before we get out of here for another week with football in full swing? As we mentioned, uh, baseball playoffs about to be here in the postseason coverage from Turner, from Fox. Um, and, and does ESPN still have a little bit with that? I don't know if ES, I know ESPN yeah. radio does. Does ESPN still have a little bit of the, of the early wild card? I think that's the, all coming uh, in a couple of weeks, right? They have the AL wild card. Uh, and if the, if MLB expands the playoffs, they'll have the full wild card round in that scenario. Um, one more thing. I, I also have never seen the office. Um, so you're in good company there. Uh, you know, there are people yelling at the podcast right now at both of us. Yeah. And how have we not seen this? Because there's so many legendary, I guess, scenes, exchanges, etc. Maybe that's a homework assignment for us. Uh, no, nah, I'm not watching The Office. You know what turned me off from The Office? That Jim and Pam thing, right? Like I never watched it, but I'm aware of the storyline. I'm aware of the characters. And you know, NBC would always shoehorn in this will they or won't they, trying to recapture the magic of Sam and Diane. Well, you know, good luck with that. Ross and Rachel was tiresome. Ugh, <laughs> Ross and Rachel. Ross and Rachel, the destitutes man, Kyle and Maxine. Kyle and Max, 
Kyle and Max a hundred times over Ross and Rachel. John is just speaking truth here at the end of the podcast on all the different sitcoms and their relationships and making me feel older by the second. Reminder, subscribe to this podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Again, hit the follow button for those two. Subscribe, Google Podcasts, Spreaker, elsewhere. You can always find the sportsmediawatch.com podcast through the site, through John's writings, and through having the podcast archived on the site, sportsmediawatch.com. I know you'll be watching, you'll be analyzing, et cetera. One quick thing for the audience, one of my duties in the fall, one of my prominent duties is Tampa Bay Buccaneers radio. The Bucks off to a 2-0 start. John, I'm headed to that SoFi Stadium in Los Angeles uh, for the Buccaneers and the L.A. Rams. I will report back on the podcast next week because I've seen that thing now on TV several times, including full capacity of fans the first couple of games this year. It looks like something out of a Hollywood movie. I promise to report back. Here's a tease, John, on the podcast next week about the $5 billion stadium complex that is SoFi Stadium. They've actually moved the NFL Network headquarters to that same uh, entire complex where the stadium is. It's crazy. I want to see it. I promise to report back on the podcast next week with it, sir. Hey, sounds good. You know, I've never actually, I've actually never been to California, so I'm uh, looking <laughs> during. Well, I, will go, I will go for both of us and go check out uh, everything that's going on in SoCal and Hollywood and report back on the show. John, have a great rest of the week. We'll talk to you again soon. We'll keep reading you on the site. All right. Hey, thanks a lot. There is John Lewis. Check him out. Paulson underscore SMW for Sports Media Watch. Paulson underscore SMW on Twitter. Find it at sportsmediawatch.com. I'm merely TJ Reeves. We're back next week with another edition of the sportsmediawatch.com podcast. And as we go out, we give you a quick reminder. If you've been hearing the theme music here, it is from the album Delusions of Grandeur. That's the name. It's kind of appropriate for me that uh, that would be the name of the album delusions of grandeur find it on itunes adela monica is the artist for the music that you're hearing there's a plug as we are done on this edition of the sportsmediawatch.com podcast bye save big on brunch for mom all in the kroger app Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.